reach down while you're standing and pick up your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and then when you find that one, just get over to Jude. And we read one scripture in Jude. Second Timothy, we just dealt with that book not too long ago. It's the last will and testament of the greatest of the apostles. Last letter that the apostle Paul wrote before his martyrdom. And he wrote this to establish Timothy and make him aware that what Paul was, Timothy would have to be. The burden of the church and everything that Paul had carried all those years was now being transferred to his son in the ministry, Timothy, and this is some of the admonitions that he gives Timothy, but bear in mind also he's giving them to us. Yes. Simply says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Everybody say grace. 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 Isn't that a beautiful word? Yes. Hallelujah. And uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruits. Yes. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Turn quickly to Jude, the 24th verse and 25th. This is in conclusion to what Jude had said in his short general epistle. And he simply sums it all up and says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you because we recognize these are words certainly that reaches down to our day. Might our hearts reach out to embrace them. Might we understand them. Might we realize, Father, the times in which we're living, certainly the words of the Apostle Paul ring so true to us tonight. Might we reach out. Might we grasp them. Hold them to our bosom and treasure them. For they alone will bring us through the darknesses of this life into the eternities of God. We thank you for that and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure most of you are aware, if you know any history at all, what they say about Winston Churchill in Britain's darkest hour. And he was called upon to make a speech of some type that would challenge and raise up and strengthen those feeble knees, they'd been under bombing attacks, and it looked like their time had come to be defeated, and this man just simply stood up, all eyes on him, and he just simply said, never, 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 
never give up. And then he sat down. What more could be said? And I think this is what the Apostle Paul and also writers in other, with other views is ringing down through the quarters of time to our day is never give up. There's a lot of reasons sometimes presents itself why we should. We're not blind to that. We do not live charmed lives. We live in a world that's filled with anxieties and problems and troubles and we're human enough for some of those things to have an effect on us. Reading not too long ago, one day in New York City, on an 18-inch ledge, 17 stories above the street, a young man in his early teens stood for 11 hours, perched on that ledge as friends and relatives, called in a psychologist, and called in a minister. They tried to coax him to come down. And just before he leaped to his death, he said these words, I wish someone would convince me that life is worth living. Now, when we hear things like that, and I ask myself that question, and it might be good if you would, what would you have said to that young man in answer to his question? What would you have told him about life? What type of a testimony would you have in moments and hours like that that you could share with him. And certainly it brings to bear upon our lives and upon our Christian experience. And it just brings a question to our mind, what brings an intelligent person to the point where he can find no answers to problems except seemingly take the final route out, which is death? And when we look down to it, we can find the problem it's easy to identify that. The problem is they have plenty to live with and not very much to live for. Mm -hmm. Amen. And this brings life not worth living. Some people don't commit suicide, but they just simply resign from life and they give up and they quit trying. And this is sad in the natural way of speaking in life and I'm sure that we need to take a lesson from that, but I would like to draw from that on the spiritual side tonight and let you look out and understand that there are many, many spiritual Christian people who do not necessarily die or, or plan on dying or leap to their death physically, but there's a lot of people all over this world that leaps from the high places of God into the low places of doubt and despair and resign themselves from a spiritual life. I know that and you know that. And I don't think there's a single one of us here that what hasn't been tempted at times to do that very same thing. You see, we have to be honest with ourselves in that area before we can understand what God is trying to say. Let me share you a little something from Ralph Waldo Emerson when he was speaking to uh, students at a Harvard, Harvard Divinity School, and he said, For a people to believe and hold to God, a minister as well as a believer must deal out to people not only the life of Christ, but their own life. Its ups and downs, its successes and its failures, 
his doubts and his fears and his times of discouragement and all of this. He has to deal with individuals and deal out that his life is like that. And then he went on to say that he once went to a service and that sorely tempted him never to go to church again. And this is why. He said the entire service as well as the sermon was divorced from everyday living. Now let's check that and realize that many times this happens. He said you would never know that the people, the minister included, had ever lived at all. And if he had, he lived in a fairy tale type of world. He said from the attitudes of those individuals, you'd never know whether they laughed or cried, that they'd ever been married or in love, that, he'd ever, that he had ever been cheated or wronged, that their head had ever ached or their heart had ever throbbed, or that they'd ever had doubts or fears, that they'd ever had any defeats as well as successes. And it is true. It is true that Christianity, our religion, divorced from everyday life, becomes cold, dead formalism. In other words, it doesn't have a message of hope for the one that comes to the house of God while a loved one is in the hospital room. In other words, it's not, it's not living in the past. Christianity is not what the martyrs endured. Christianity is not what the martyrs are going to endure. Christianity is not what it used to be back then or what it's going to be then. Christianity today is everyday life. We meet our foe in many different ways, and it's every day, and everyday life. And we have to make people understand that we have had similar experiences. We have to have similar doubts and fears and similar uh, fights, and that we have been through the grace and help of God, overcomers and victorious in that. And that way, when somebody comes into the house of God and they have left a loved one in the hospital room. We have to make them realize that we understand what it's like to have somebody there. What it's like to have a loved one there, not being able to help them. Our hands are shortened. We have to make them understand that we know about this. And make them understand also, but for the help and grace of God, we would have no hope whatsoever. Then, with dead formalism, we have... No word of consolation for those that have buried their dead. What can we say? I mean, when we have went through tragedy in our life, when we have buried those that are very close to us, when some of them have been taken out really before their time, and you question the grace of God in that area, you question why a child would die or why a young man or young lady in their early years of their life would pass on. You question, where is God? And you question desires that you've had to you want your loved ones to live. You prayed honestly with your prayer and, and you felt as if God had heard your prayer and yet they simply went on to meet their maker. And with cold, dead formalism, acting like the world is not part of us, we're not part of the world. We cannot meet individuals like that. We simply have to let them know that there were times that we walked through that same valley. 
There was times when we had the same hurt inside of us that they have. Yes. The same doubts and fears as to where God was or sometimes even if there was a God that would allow things like this that we understand. Yes. But we still held fast to God's unchanging hand and realized there is a hope even beyond this veil of tears. And we have to let them know that life has been lived in us and the life of Christ has been lived through us. We have to let them know that there is a word of consolation and guidance for individuals who are confused, individuals that are bewildered on life perplexing highways and not knowing which way to go or what to do. Individuals who have been sidetracked by the powers of the enemy. Sometimes individuals that live good Christian lives and don't know really which way to turn. And they come into the house of God, into the assembly regardless of where it is. And they come usually here with some idea of getting somebody to understand where they're at. Somebody to understand their feelings in their life. And if we're cold and dead and formal, we cannot give them that. But if there is compassion and love inside of our life, and we know what it's like, and we know that we've found the hand of God in those times, we can give them that courage and give them that power and give them that understanding and help them work through this thing and let them know that God's still God regardless of what the world says. You see, we have to make everyday living, Christianity everyday living. I cannot make it a weekend service. I cannot make it a Wednesday night service. I cannot come in and enjoy the goodness of God. I've got to live it every day. And people have got to know that I have walked through the valleys. I've been on a mountaintop. I've enjoyed the good things. I've tasted some bad, bad things in my life too. And all by the power and grace of God, I have walked through them and was able to come out on the other side. See, people come into the house of God. If it's cold, dead, and formal, we don't have any counsel for people that's frustrated. We don't have any counsel for people that's disillusioned. We don't have anything to say for individuals that are discouraged because there's something inside of cold, dead formalism that doesn't live today in Christianity. It's always what has been, always what's going to be. Let me tell you something. We're not alive back then, and we're not in the future yet. We're here tonight, and God wants to be an example tonight. He wants to be lived through us. He wants lives to be, His life to be seen through us. And we need to be touched by the feelings of infirmities of individuals. We need to be able to enlighten somebody when they're disillusioned. Need to be able to just look and say, I understand. Don't look with that proud, haughty look of yours as if you never was disillusioned. If you never was discouraged. If you never have been frustrated. Let them know all of these things have been in your life also. There's times when you're so frustrated you didn't know what to do. I'm speaking from experience. We're so disillusioned you didn't really know which path to take. And you were so discouraged that it looked like it was a burden just to get up. Let them know you knew that. But by the great hand and power of God, you withered the storm because of Calvary and because of Him. And we cannot furnish that in cold, dead, formal churches where individuals care not for anything or anyone but themselves. 
You see, religion cannot be divorced from everyday life. Christianity cannot be divorced from everyday life if, if we're going to be a help to somebody else. You see, our text comes from men whose religious experience was far from divorced from everyday life. Fact of business is his experience was his reason for living. You see, if somebody could have reached that young man that we're talking about with the word of God and the power of God and the counsel of God, that life really is worth living regardless of what it seems like. I get a hold of the promises of God and let that be a reason for them to live. You see, our only reason in this dark day and age for living is because of Calvary. It's because of Christ. It's because of His promise. It's because He said He would never leave us and He would never forsake us. Our only reason for living, whilst Apostle Paul's only reason for living, was the fact that he had an experience with God. He found a lot of times when probably it would have been easier to give up than it would to go on. Paul says to Timothy, I've fought a good fight. In other words, he lets you know in that that life is a battle. Life is a fight. It's not a fight uh, one year, just a few days a year, but it's a total fight from the time you're introduced to Christ until he takes you home. You're wrestling against the enemy. You're wrestling against old carnal uh, nature inside old Adam's nature that he desires to return to the leeks and garlic of Egypt. And he makes all of those things that one time you despised and hated and it never did anything good for you. It makes all those things look good again. You see, you watch people come in and they're illuminated by the power of God. Well, they feel the presence of God. Nobody denies that. And then the first thing that happens is the devil comes along and begins to make what they came out of look good. And it was always amazing to me why we would listen to that guy because he's a liar. I mean, anything he has to say to us is a lie. But he has cunningly deceived a lot of individuals by focusing them on the very world they came out of have made that look good enough to go back in. And so they've left the power and presence of God and the honor of God simply because they didn't have a purpose in their life. You see, Paul is simply saying, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And he simply said, and we've said this often, I have kept the faith. There was a lot of times when I could have thrown it down. A lot of times when I could have said, just forget it. I just can't make it. And Paul was saying, I still kept the faith. And it might be good sometimes if we would just look at ourselves in the mirror and say, Paul, you know that's right. There's a lot of times when I could have very simply just forgotten and given it up. Forgot about it. But what Paul is saying in this, very simply, is that he did not give up. In spite of the pressures of life. And I think that's good advice for us all, don't you? Don't ever give up on God. He may not be right there to snap at your finger. You may not know where He is, but get into the Word of God and it'll let you know what He says He would never leave us and never forsake us, but be there all the time, even until the end of this world. But that brings faith in our life. Paul said, I kept it. You see, we look back on times when we were tempted to run away. Not even look back. But then when those times come, if we can just separate ourselves from the din and noise of this world, 
We can just find us someplace alone, somewhere we're going to hear the voice of the Apostle Paul, as well as the voice of God telling us this. Told Paul, life is a long haul. I mean, life is not easy, and our goals are not always reached in a hurry. But what Paul is saying, get a hold of the hand of God. Get a hold of the hand of God. Get a hold of it and don't let go. And when your grip begins to slip, tell God to hold your hand a little while. Paul's saying, look, you need help from God. Amen. You can't fight this battle alone. You can't live it alone. Amen. You need help from God. Yes. Yes. Let me tell you how God helps. Amen. How many of you know already Amen. how God helps? He don't zap from heaven with a lightning bolt. He'll come down and appear. He simply helps through what is now His body. That's the way He helps. That's the way He wants to help. That's the way He's trying to help. Lord Kelvin, scientist that contributed to thermodynamics, to the complete understanding of electricity, contributed his success. Not to his wisdom, he says other people were smarter than I was. Not to his intellect. But his success in that was simply perseverance. In other words, to put it negatively, he succeeded because he didn't quit. <laughs> All right? Now, wouldn't that be a good thing to apply to our Christian life? Is that we succeed, persevere, because we don't quit. Because we realize we've got a hold of something. Paul admits that there's times in his life that he's tempted to give up. You see that scattered through his writings. Yes. If you think that the Apostle Paul was a superhuman of some kind that never had any doubts or fears, you look real carefully and it's not really hid in there, but you look real carefully and you'll see in him the same doubts and the same fears and the same pressure and, and, and the same desires as you and I have and the same fights every day that you and I have. And Paul admits that there's times when he was tempted to give up. I don't imagine that he was in the best of spirits when they whipped him. <laughs> I think he just realized that he had to get a hold of God's unchanging hand. I think he realized he needed some help then. When he was shipwrecked, when he was deserted of friends and all of that. You see, life is such today, as it was then, it's even more. It's such today that we are constantly under pressure. Yes. Christians need to realize this. Now you can shout and go about and say negative, say positive thoughts and all of this and act like you never. I had one guy to tell me that I really never get depressed. I don't ever get discouraged. Well, I knew he was lying. I knew he wasn't superhuman. I, I knew he didn't live that way and neither should we. But there are times, admit it, saints, there are times when we will get discouraged. There are times when we will get depressed. There are times when we will get shipwrecked and we'll have to look for God. There are times when it seems like everything has deserted us and there's continual pressure. It's not going to let up either. It's going to get worse and worse. We're under pressure. Anxieties, problems, troubles, anxious in our workplace. Anxious in anxieties and, and all of this thing in our, in our schools. It's in our grocery stores. It's in our automobile mechanics. And we're going there sometimes when they're on the wrong side of the... Uh, I mean, when they got up on the wrong side of the bed. What's the pressure inside individuals? 
when you even meet them. And sad to say, it has even crept into the house of God where anxieties mount. This should be a place where anxieties are put away and the power of the whole God inside of us ought to bring us peace in our life. And we can walk out of here and say, I can face another valley and I can walk another mile. But it's supposed to be far. And if we have any idea that we're ever going to get out from under the pressure, we're not. It's a life of pressure. You see, promises are made and not kept. Somebody tells us how wonderful it's going to be and we find out it's not. <laughs> Somebody says, cheer up, things could get worse. And we cheered up and things was worse. As the old saying goes, the old lady says, I feel bad every time I feel good. Because I keep thinking about how bad I feel when I quit feeling good. All of these things in her life and in her heart. And, and there's a discouraging, despondent time in her life. But in spite of these things, everything that I've mentioned, we might find the courage to continue if we can have some assurance of success. But there's a rub in that too. There comes time when the whole thing seems to be in doubt. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that God speaks directly. I'm in one right now where God speaks directly. And all the promises have been made. And there's times when the whole shebang seems to be in doubt. Inside it seems to me there is no possible way under these uh, circumstances as it's ever going to be. And the outcome of what God says and shows you and you want trembles in the balance. We don't know if we'll find what we're seeking or not at the end of the road. God seems to have said that, but it's been so long. Things have happened and we didn't think they would happen, and we're not even sure. Sometimes that continued sacrifice from us would bring us victory. Yes. You see, we're walking down this road. We only know that we group in the group in the darkness, and hopes which are seen and Seems to grow dimmer, things that God spoke to us in times uh, when we was on the mountaintop and said these things are yours. They grow dimmer and seem farther and farther away. Instead of coming closer to our lives, they seem to be farther away. And finally, enthusiasm. Have you ever watched lives begin with enthusiasm? Yes. Man, listen, I, I can fight the world. Everybody ought to be like me. I don't have any problem at all. Oh, this Christian life, I tell you, there's nothing like this Christian life. Everybody, what's the matter with you old people out there? Why don't you wake up and enjoy your salvation? I feel good in God. And then see them a few days later. Gates open. Satan comes in. Enthusiasm goes away. And doubts begin to settle in around the us. I don't know whether I was really saved or not. <laughs> I'm not sure what I said was just gibberish, probably. Because, yeah. man, I feel worse now than I did before I was saved. Yeah. Been there. Come on. And we're talking about a God that's supposed to, to bring us joy. Yes. And then the cost. The cost seems to rise to frightening heights. God seems to demand more and more out of you and never gives you anything in return. 
Here you are standing there with all those great promises and all those things, and God just keeps demanding more and more and more and more out of you and keeps demanding you die more and live more in Him. And He's really give you nothing. That's the way it seems. Because the devil comes along and God lets him do that. Just to see what you are. And the rewards fade away on the horizon. The things you thought you'd get, just like that. You've been in the ministry and, and God still has made you a TV evangelist. You've been a saint and God still hasn't used you to heal anybody. In fact, you can hardly even testify, even after being a Christian for years. And all those things God said you could do in His name, haven't been able to do it. Everything that God said you'd be rewarded for seems so far away. Now then, you're a good prime target for the enemy. You're standing right at the place where he'll drive a spear in your heart and cause you to leap off of an 18-story building and leap from the great places of God into the very depths of despondency and discouragement again. Except for one thing. And here's where the voice of Paul sounds out through the years and gives us the most important advice that we could ever have. And that's just simply get a hold of God's hand. He says, we need help in this business of living for God. We can't live by ourselves like this. We need help every day. That's why he tells us to make us an altar. A lot of us don't have an altar. A lot of us don't, don't have prayer life. A lot of us don't have Bible reading. And we wonder why we grow weaker and weaker. And the old animal's nature grows stronger and stronger. Because you're feeding Him, but you're not feeding the nature of Christ. Amen. And Paul's saying, now you're going to have to have some help, Timothy. And he's telling us that if you're going to live for God. And uh, that's the best advice that anybody could be given is that you need help in this business of living for God. As long as we can keep this in mind, there's hope for us. It's when a man believes that he can make it on his own, that he can define the issues himself. His intellect and his wisdom will bring him to his own conclusions, and there's where real danger is. When you have forgotten the reason, you see, we need help now. We have always needed help, and we always will need God's help. I don't care how old you get in God. I don't care how wise you get, how intellectual, how well-read you are. There's never going to be a time in your Christian experience that you don't need God's help. That you don't need to snuggle up close to Him and say, God, I'm just a child. I don't know how to come in or go out. I need your wisdom and I need your help. But many times we refuse that help. Many times doubts and fears of Christian and carnal living in Christianity and we refuse His help. And we don't realize. We don't realize what Paul is trying to say. We don't understand that he's trying to point out to us that there's going to be times in every Christian experience when we're going to be brought right to the verge of destruction by the enemy. He's going to bring us there. He's going to do His best to topple us over the edge. And we have but one choice. And one chance, and that's get a hold of God's hand and go 
don't turn it loose. Get in the Word of God. Understand who He is and what He is and lean on His everlasting arms. And finally confess that you can't do it yourself. Always need God's help. He's the only one that can bring us to a complete understanding where need of strength, not our own. Our own strength will give us away. Our own, uh, 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 our only abilities to persevere in times of daily difficulties and in disappointments of life. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. It's not in this Adam's nature and this makeup for us to be able to resist those things. Some can do it longer and better than others. There will come a time and times in individual lives when Adam's nature is going to fail us. Carnal Christianity can't cope with the pressures of this life. It's going to take an experience with Almighty God that very many of us have not experienced as yet. The ability to live for Him. But you see, Paul says we need the Christ of Calvary. And Paul says, I found Him. I found Him on the road to Damascus. I found Him true to my heart and my life. And he said, during my times of despondency and discouragement, Paul had an ability that we need to find. When he came into these times and these places, he compared his miserable life. Even with all his intellect and wisdom, the power he had, he placed that life of Saul of Tarsus right alongside that life of the Apostle Paul in his greatest uh, in his greatest despondence and discouragement and he placed them one side by the other and uh, according to his testimony the life of the Apostle Paul regardless of where he was at was better than the life of Saul and Tarsus. Amen. It might behoove us sometimes to take some time out. But you see, life be worth living must have a purpose. We've said that over and over and over. You must have a purpose. A larger purpose than just self-preservation. A larger purpose than just uh, Christianity uh, for ourselves. A larger purpose than getting God for selfish reasons. That's not enough. Our purpose has to simply be the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God that is in this world today in us and the kingdom of God that is soon coming is a purpose that will spur within us and will raise up within us a desire to never, never let go of God's unchanging hand. Amen. It's not what can I get. You see, many Christians live under that atmosphere of, Lord, what can I get? If I was to come to you, Lord, what could I get? What will you give me? This rags to riches type of Christianity. And it's doomed a lot of souls. But that's not going to be the question of the individual that really loves the Lord and wants to see the kingdom of God do what it ought to do. What he will say is, Lord, what would you have me to do in these circumstances? Yes. In other words, when, it's, when you're getting to the place where you're almost ready to turn loose, where you don't see any hope at all, it might be good to cast those old eyes of yours in their weakness and look into the shining face of the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is the answer to this? What do you want? Which direction do you want me to go? Right. You see, there's nothing in life that this question won't touch. That's true. Not one thing in our life and what this question, Lord, what would you have me to do that this won't touch? His devotion to God that he worships 
will give meaning to life and everything that touches his life. But there has to be a devotion to God. It cannot be, and it must not be, a half-hearted devotion. It cannot be a life lived in self-will and self-desires and self-determinations. It cannot be that. That is not true, wholehearted Christianity. And this will give us no answers when we're on the edge of the abyss. And all of these things have seemingly been taken away from us unless there's a deep-rooted belief in Almighty God that these things are happening for the benefit of ourselves. Can we ever grasp hold of the hand of God? Come on. You see, with God's purpose in mind, He'll know that the one that walks with Christ is kept faithful. We just read that to you in Jude to the end of the fight. And in those desperate moments, when we find a hundred reasons why we ought to give up, we can hang on a little longer if we can see again the great resources that comes from the power of God. If we just invite God into our life, this man who at the end of his life could say with complete assurance, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, might we all be able to say that at the end of our days. In closing, I want to read something that a friend of mine gave me. It was entitled, Don't Quit. And it says, as things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to cry, 